This is the 21st in the series of podcasts produced by the British Society of Haematology. This podcast covers Richter's transformation of chronic lymphocytic leukemia, a British Society of Haematology good practice paper. Because of COVID-19, we're recording this podcast via Zoom and this could in theory affect the subsequent quality of the recording. And we apologize for any loss of sound quality that may occur. My name is Dr. Toby Eyre. I'm a haematology consultant and honorary senior lecturer at the uh, University of Oxford. I have a specialist interest in chronic lymphocytic leukemia and lymphoma. And I'm the first author on this good practice paper. I'm also heavily involved in clinical trials in Richter's syndrome in the UK. And I'm the previous first author of the UK wide NCRI clinical trial in Richter's syndrome. Richter's transformation is a challenging phenomenon that occurs in approximately 2 to 5% of patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia and involves a transformation uh, from a slow-growing indolent disease into an aggressive lymphoma. This has challenging disease biology and has been historically very difficult to treat. In this podcast, I'll discuss the diagnostic workup of Richter's transformation I'll then go on to talk about the current treatments available in this disorder, and then I'll discuss future developments and clinical trials that are ongoing. Within this good practice paper, we talk about the importance of histopathological assessment for the diagnosis of Richter's transformation. This remains a gold standard um, of care to diagnose Richter's transformation and we recommend two histopathologists with specialist hematopathology skill look at the diagnostic material and make a diagnosis from there. There are a number of caveats to making the diagnosis of Richter's syndrome, and there are certainly some overlaps with um, accelerated chronic lymphocytic leukemia and other histologies to consider. So one of the key take-homes and one of the key recommendations from this guideline is the importance of good tissue uh, ideally an excision biopsy to make the diagnosis, um, but also the importance of not only hematopathology input, but also the wider MDT. And all cases should be discussed in a hematology multidisciplinary team meeting. Within the guideline, we talk about the recent evidence base for PET-CT and the value of it in the workup of the diagnosis. PET-CT should be performed in patients who have a concerning clinical features for Richter's transformation. And any patient with an SUV max of greater than five should undergo a PET-guided biopsy at the most safely accessible FDG site. Because the majority of patients will receive immunochemotherapy, patients should have a standard virology screen during this workup. And patients should ideally undergo a bone marrow biopsy uh, should um, they have unexplained low blood count, so pancytopenia, to assess the level of CLL infiltration in the bone marrow or indeed whether there's high-grade disease in the bone marrow. Now, from a prognostic point of view, there are additional factors to consider. So patients should ideally have a P53 deletion analysis or mutation analysis performed around the time of diagnosis if it hasn't been performed previously. 
And there are occasions when the immunoglobulin gene rearrangement analysis by genetic sequencing could be performed to establish the clonal relationship between the chronic lymphocytic leukemia and the Richter's transformation cells, because this has been shown to be of prognostic importance. The Good Practice paper discusses the treatment approach for Richter's transformation. We discuss in some detail the historical treatments that have been available, including intensive chemotherapy-based treatments using alkylator-based therapy, platinum-based therapy, and purine analog-based therapy. All of these treatments have been assessed in fairly small clinical trials, have substantial toxicity and relatively low efficacy, and this has limited their broader applicability. There are a number of studies assessing anthracycline-based chemotherapy regimes, so predominantly CHOP chemotherapy in combination with a CD20 antibody. And the largest and most contemporary data sets come from studies analysing anthracycline-based therapy alongside an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody, so typically CHOP-based therapy with either rituximab or ofatunumab. Unfortunately, the overall response rates are still disappointing with this combination ranging between 40 to 60% and the median progression-free survival ranging between six to 10 months. Now, the regime uh, dose-adjusted EPOC-R, which has been studied and has activity in other high-grade aggressive non-Hodgkin lymphomas has also been assessed in a 46 patient single center retrospective series. However, again, the responses in terms of survival um, was uh, poor. The median progression-free survival was only three and a half months in that study, and the toxicity was high, with 30% of patients dying without disease progression or response. And so overall, the, the median overall survival in Richter's cohorts that have been studied are roughly between eight to 12 months. Um, and this, this remains, therefore, an area of clear unmet need and a requirement for further study. Given these limited outcomes, the, the Good Practice paper discusses the role of consolidation strategies for patients. So we discuss autologous stem cell transplant and allogeneic stem cell transplant and discuss some of the limited data that's available supporting these approaches. Within one of the recommendations, we do, uh, we do say that it's reasonable to consider allogeneic stem cell transplant or autologous stem cell transplant in otherwise fit, fit and appropriate patients, typically under the age of 70. Within our recommendations, we suggest that RCHOP is offered as a standard of care approach for the majority of patients who are otherwise fit and appropriate for anthracycline-based treatment. Although we do recognize within the guideline that outcomes are poor for many patients with this standard approach. And we do therefore emphasize the importance of enrolling patients into prospective clinical trials. The group that do do reasonably well with RCHOP-based therapy are those that have a TP53 intact genetic status, those who are previously treatment naive, so those who transform to Richter's transformation without having previously received treatment for CLL. And in those patients who obtain a complete metabolic remission following RCHOP, we do uh, believe that the data that is out there suggests it's reasonable to observe patients in that scenario. Now we don't discuss Hodgkin-like Richter's transformation in a lot of detail in the guideline, but we do believe that based on the available data, ABVD is the optimum therapy uh, to date. 
and we have recommended that that is considered in otherwise anthracycline fit patients who develop Hodgkin-like transformation. The final part of the good practice paper discusses investigational approaches. Now, in light of the outcomes that I've described, the importance of clinical and translational research can't be understated for Richter's transformation patients. There are a number of recent small retrospective studies and moderate size phase two studies suggesting, suggesting that targeting BTK, so brutin tyrosine kinase, is a viable target resulting in some responses in patients with Richter's syndrome. There's also some evidence that targeting the anti-apoptotic gene BCL2 is also effective to some degree, and that targeting the PD1, PDL1 axis, which is upregulated in Richter's syndrome, also results in some responses. Now, all of the series that are, that are published to date are fairly small, they're heterogeneous, they're of course subject to selection bias, and are challenging to cross-compare. Um, and a number of studies are ongoing looking at some of these novel combinations. Um, so combinations of PD-1 inhibitors alongside second generation BTK inhibitors, for example. And there are also some key studies analyzing the effectiveness of chemotherapy-based treatment alongside these targeted inhibitors. And one of the key studies there is the STELLA study, which is enrolling currently in the UK which is assessing the role of RCHOP chemotherapy with or without a calibrutinib in randomized fashion. We discussed briefly the management of relapsed refractory rictors and talk, touch briefly on CAR T-cell therapy, which at the time of recording is available for patients who have had more, more than or equal to two prior lines of therapy for rictors syndrome. However, the data supporting this approach is relatively limited, but we do recommend that this is considered at least in some patients who have been through those prior lines of therapy. To conclude, I've discussed the management diagnostic approach and future developments of Richter's transformation of CLL as outlined in the British Society of Haematology Good Practice paper, which has just been published. Thank you to all for listening to this podcast, and I'd like to invite the listeners to visit the BSH website to listen to more of the recent exciting podcasts from the British Society of Haematology, including those about recent important guidelines. <laughs>